The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Well, good morning again. My name is Nick Ganyi. I'm a covenant partner here at Gospel City Church. Um, it is my privilege to come before you and um, uh, speak a little bit about Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. That'll be the main passage that we have for today. And as I briefly alluded to before, um, it is a passage with a lot of difficulties. Um, a lot of difficulties relating to our heart issues um, and some other difficulties, for fun measure, um, that we'll talk about. So, um, before we jump in too much farther, let me just go ahead and pray for our time. Father God, you are good. You're so good. Lord, um, oftentimes we forget how good you are. Um, so often we get carried away with our busy lives and um, all the blessings that you've given to us on a day-to-day -day basis, Lord. We get consumed by those so often, Lord. And we forget you, the giver. Lord, forgive us for that. Um, and today, during this time, help us to focus on you and your words, Lord, and what you want to do in us and through us, Lord God. Um, we're going to be talking about some weighty issues today, Lord God. Give us a heart to hear. Give us ears to listen. Give us a will to embrace the, the things that you want us, that, that you want to work on our hearts. Give us humility to accept when we fall short of the faithfulness that we're going to be talking about today. Give me words to say, your words, not mine. Help me to be attuned to your spirit as I speak from your word right now. And Lord, help us to grow in our love for you, our love for one another, and our love for the world that so desperately needs to hear the name of Jesus. And the good news of Christ. Lord, in all these things, we desperately, desperately cry out to you for your strength to work in and through us. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Marriage. Millage, some of you are already smiling already, is what keeps us together. This famous line is from possibly one of the greatest movies of all time, The Princess Bride. A film about a man who risks life and limb to rescue his beloved, to marry her, to be faithful to her all their days. 
and she to him. Throughout the film, the man's faithfulness to the love of his youth, and they met when they were very young, inspires other people to love and to be united in their faithfulness and their, their desire to go out and get love. The narrator of The Princess Bride assures the audience at the very end that this couple's lives will not be perfect, that it will be full of challenges, that they will be together through it all, and it will be good. It's a beautiful story, but it's not one that you would hear in the nation of Israel during the time of Malachi. Because instead of faithfulness towards brides, towards friends, towards fellow compatriots and other citizens of Israel, you would see unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness towards spouses, towards friends, towards fellow countrymen. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. Faithfulness. What it looks like. Towards our covenant relationships. Now, when I speak of covenant, what am I saying? Well, a covenant relationship is a special relationship where two people or multiple people are bound together under a sacred agreement, a sacred obligation. One where they pledge themselves to one another. And so here in Malachi chapter 2, we're going to divide our time into three parts today. The problem with unfaithfulness, the reason for unfaithfulness, and number three, the power for faithfulness. Sorry, the problem with unfaithfulness, the reason for unfaithfulness, and three, the power for faithfulness. But before we jump in any farther, let me read our passage for today so we can orient ourselves to what is going on in Israel and what God's inspired word has to tell us today. Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Have not one, has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, 
who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping, with groaning, because no longer, uh, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one, with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. This is the word of the Lord. So my three points. The problem with unfaithfulness. The reason for unfaithfulness. Number three, the power for faithfulness. Let's start with our first point. The problem with unfaithfulness. This passage describes three different ways that Israel has been unfaithful. Or to three different groups, if you will that Israel has been unfaithful to. The first one, Israelites have been faithful, unfaithful, to the larger Israelite community. The second one, Israel has been unfaithful by taking on unbelieving wives. The third group, Israel has been unfaithful to their wives by divorcing and remarrying. And we'll talk more about that later. These three groups, the people of Israel, have been unfaithful towards. Let's take a look at the first one. The covenant, they've been unfaithful towards the larger Israelite community. When I was in university, um, I had some good friends. And um, my last year of college, I moved off campus with them, and I stayed in a condo with them. And it was fun, you know, we had a lot of fun. It was good, it was cool. But I had a tendency to be late to pay my bills pay my utilities, my internet, my rent, so on and so forth. And oftentimes, I let them pay the front of the bill. Eventually, I settled with them, but it was a long time after that. Needless to say, it caused some tension in our relationships. At least for a while. Well, Israel, just like me, was not living up to their end of the bargain. You see, 
was created as a covenant people by the one true living God, who in verse 10 is also called Father, picking up on the words from Jeremiah 31.9, where God says through the prophet, I have become a father in Israel. Um, the prophet here in Jeremiah, he is reflecting back to the time of Mount Sinai, when God adopts the people of Israel, embraces them, and calls them his own. See, God rescued his people out of Egypt. And he went through, he, he built this covenant relationship with them at the foot of Mount Sinai. That he would be their God, he would bless them, he would love them, he would support them, he would take care of them. And they would be his people. Faithful to love him and to obey him and to care for their fellow Israelites because that was one of the ways that they loved and obeyed God. See, God designed his covenant community here where every relationship, children to parents, Parents to children, citizen to citizen, friend to friend, employer to employee, employee to employer, is built on the idea of loyalty, built on the idea of being faithful to one another, of supporting one another, of caring for one another. It was supposed to, it was designed to be a relationship where there was trust, honesty, peace, between everyone in the covenant. And see, here in verse 10 of Malachi chapter 2, the Israelites are faithless to their fellow Israelites. Uh, I'll just read verse 10 for us here. Why do, why do they deal treacherously each against his brother, so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? The term brother here refers to fellow Israelites. The Israelites were dealing treacherously with one another for the express purpose of getting ahead in life. Whether it be financially ahead, socially ahead, physically ahead. And Malachi here, speaking on behalf of God, is speaking out against this. He's enraged. Because according to verse 10, it profanes or it disrespects the covenant that Israel made with God. We see an example of God's intention for Israel in Leviticus 19.36, where God commands Israelites to be honest in their financial dealings with one another. Because, because, God is their Lord. Or again in Exodus 20, verse 16, where God commands his people not to bear false witness against one another because, because he was the God that rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. And you see, God does not just expect faithfulness between Israelites in that covenant community. He expects faithfulness between Christians in today's world. 
Christians are part of what's called the New Covenant that God installed at the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, where anyone who repents of their sins, follows Jesus as the Lord and Savior, is forgiven of their sins, eternally loved by God, and granted eternal life and adoption into God's family. This new covenant also calls on Christians to not only love God, um, but part of that loving God involves loving and caring for one another. We see examples of this in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, where Christians show faithfulness towards one another by selling their goods to provide for the welfare of other Christians. But you see, Christians are also supposed to be part of a church covenant community where they're expected to be faithful as well. So, for example, if you are a covenant partner, the, the term that we use for membership here at Gospel City Church, you've signed the church covenant where you agree to, in the words of the covenant, hold one another accountable to pursue the joyful partnership we have in the gospel, and to recover God's design for all human existence and relationships. In other words, by signing the covenant, we pledge to help each other grow in our love for God, our love for one another, and in our love for others. By constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel, reminding others of the gospel, and sharing the gospel with the outside community. Now, being faithful to this covenant here at GCC can look different in different situations. It could be praying for others in the church. It probably should involve, well, definitely should involve praying for others in the church. It could be meeting up for people in the church for lunch and asking them how things are going and rejoicing with them if they have something to rejoice over, or to mourn with if they need to mourn. It may mean inconveniencing yourself in order to serve others in the church. And those are just a couple examples, but there are more. The idea and the question that we should ask is how do we be faithful to this covenant of loving and caring for one another? as members of Gospel City Church, covenant partners, excuse me, but also members of the larger Universal Church of Christ. Okay. So covenant with, covenant with uh, the community. Not that bad, not that hard, right? But you see, God doesn't just expect faithfulness in the community at large. He expects faithfulness to God in one's marriage as well. Look with me again at verse 11. Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, 
and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. God specifically, and in multiple places, tells his covenant people not to take unbelieving wives. Not to take unbelieving wives, and really unbelieving spouses, if we, um, if we extrapolate that to everyone. We see this in Deuteronomy 7, verse 3, which says, You shall not intermarry with them. That is, um, that is people that do not adhere to, to um, worshiping the God of Israel. Giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following when you serve other gods. You see, this decision to take an unbelieving spouse is repugnant to God. Malachi here calls it an abomination. And he warns that anyone who does this is cut off from the tents of Jacob. A phrase that means exile from the covenant community of Israel. Now, that means anyone. It means priest, Levite, it means lay person. All held under the same obligation. And we actually see the danger of an Israelite marrying outside of the faith community through the life of King Solomon. Um, King Solomon, he married unbelievers, a lot of them. May I add, a lot of them. Um, but he married unbelievers. And as a result, he turned away from the Lord. And Malachi 2 wasn't just important for the Israelites here. It's important for Christians in the modern-day world as well. Because the same truth applies to us. The Apostle Paul warns against marrying non-Christians in 2 Corinthians 6.14, where he writes that we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, that, now that, that warning to not be unequally yoked, that applies to other relationships outside of marriage, but it also includes marriage. Now, some of you might be thinking, in the back of your head, I can stay a Christian and marry a non-Christian. And while that's technically true, it's not God's intention. Because a Christian marrying a non-Christian is kind of like wearing a tuxedo to the standard charter chaos marathon that happened last weekend. Or it's like running the Viper Challenge that I know some of y'all are going to be running in December in a tuxedo. At first you might look flashy. At first it might look great. And then after a few kilometers or if it's me, you know, a few steps, you're going to start sweating. The tuxedo is going to start getting heavy. It's going to constrict your movement. It's going to affect your performance. And eventually it's going to tear and fall apart. Leaving you without clothes. 
In the same way, a Christian marrying a non-Christian may seem like a cool thing to do. It may seem like the perfect missionary opportunity, right? You know, you get to um, live with that person and you get to show them the love of Christ day in and day out. But after a while, one of two things will happen. You either marginalize your faith in order to get closer to your spouse, or you're going to hold on to a strong faith in Christ. And that unbelieving spouse will withdraw because it makes him or her uncomfortable. Either way, it's not exactly the greatest missional opportunity. It isn't great for the marriage. And it isn't exactly God's plan for marriage either. Neither option is good. Marriage to unbelievers, God says here, profanes God's sanctuary, which he loves. Which is a creative way to say that it profanes God's holiness. And we'll come back to that in a minute. God's plan for marriage, as opposed to this, is supposed to be between a Christian man and a Christian woman. Built on the bedrock of Christ, where each spouse lives out their faith in Christ by mutually serving, supporting, and sacrificing and loving one another. We see this Christian idea of marriage in 1 Peter 5 and Ephesians 4. That is what honors God. Now, i got to be careful here. Because what I'm not saying, and what the passage is not saying here, is that you leave your marriage if you're already married to a non-Christian. That would not honor God. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. You guys can go take a look at it on your own. What I am saying, however, is this. If you are looking ahead to marriage one day, this passage challenges you to commit to marrying someone who loves Jesus, who trusts Jesus, who depends on him for grace every single day. <clears throat> so the Lord is enraged by unfaithfulness in the community. He's enraged by unfaithfulness in marriage to unbelieving spouses. Let's move ahead to verses 13 through 16. In this segment, verses 13 through 16, the Lord is going to be enraged by invalid divorces of convenience. Look with me at verses 13 through 16. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why is he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, 
to whom you have been faithless to, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit, and do not be faithless. There's a lot of exegetical issues that are happening here in this passage, verses 13 through 16. We're not going to go into all of them for time's sake. Again, I don't want to keep you here all day. This is actually one of the hardest Old Testament texts to translate. The NASB, the New American Standard Bible, reads differently, along with the New International Version, and uh, the ESV, the Legacy Standard Bible. <clears throat> But you see, regardless of translation difficulties, Old Testament scholars agree on the principal message between verses 13 through 16. And that is this. Israelites were guilty of divorcing their wives for no valid And God hates that. Israelites were guilty of divorcing their wives for no valid reason, and God hates that. God declared divorces to be valid on a couple very restricted grounds. Um, in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, in Exodus 21, <clears throat> excuse me, Exodus 21, verses 10 through 11, um, uh, divorces were supposed to happen, were validated on the grounds of abuse, adultery, and failure to provide for the needs of your spouse. That's it. <clears throat> the problem here in Malachi 2 is that emotional, that divorces happened out of emotional convenience, out of satisfaction, out of a desire for uh, happiness or, ele um, or elevation in socio, um, socio-economic um, culture. See, the Lord condemns those kinds of divorces. He was the one, after all, who brought the two together that called the union good, that verified their marriage as a covenant relationship. The part of verse 15 dealing with the purpose of marriage and producing godly offspring actually refers to humanity's creation mandate that God gave them in Genesis 1 and 2 to rule and subdue the earth by becoming one flesh. Part of this idea of ruling and subduing the earth and becoming one flesh involves raising godly children. But it's not all of it. It's not all of it. And the Lord um, has given children to some, and he's uh, not given children to others. And that's okay. 
That is okay. Um, all of it, whether it be raising godly children or not, whether um, whatever position God has put um, the marriages in, the idea is that through these marriages, the two people glorify God. In other words, marriage is for the express purpose of glorifying God. And you know, the same applies for Christians today. We as God's people are called to embrace a godly view of marriage. Where we see marriage as a way to glorify God. To make His greatness known to all. By the way that two people love and care for one another. And you know how I mentioned that there were a couple valid uh, reasons for a divorce in the Old Testament? Jesus, when he, comes, when he comes in Matthew, he narrows the acceptable reasons for divorce down to two. Adultery and abuse. <clears throat> now, I want to be careful here. I want to be very careful here. If you are a victim of divorce, meaning the other person is responsible for the divorce or the actions that led to it, you're not to blame. You are not to blame. And God, in His grace, promises to be near to you through the pain of the action that led to the divorce or the divorce itself. But, on, but not only that, if you have sinned by instigating an invalid divorce, that does not mean that God abandons you. That does not mean that God's on his throne and he's saying, oh, this person, um, this person has, has done this unspeakable sin on him. I'm going to wipe them off. I'm never going to have a relationship with them. God doesn't do that. Because regardless of whether you've been a victim of divorce or you've been the instigator of divorce, you too can find forgiveness, healing, spiritual comfort in His name. Finally, verse 16 calls on both Israel and us to guard our hearts so that we are faithful in our covenant relationships with our community, in our marriages, and to God. This is the problem of unfaithfulness. And faithfulness with the community, and faithfulness in unequal marriages, and unfaithfulness through invalid divorce. Which brings me to my second point the reason for unfaithfulness. And so here's the question of the day Are we unfaithful in our relationships? Are we unfaithful in our relationships? And if so, why? 
We already covered that the Israelites and the Malachites who were unfaithful. They were unfaithful because they forgot about what God had done for them and promised to continue to do for them. Look with me again at Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, where God reminds Israel that he is their creator. That is, he was the one that brought Israel together. He is their father, the one that adopted them as his own. Look at verse 13. God placed his altar in the midst of Israel and allowed them to know their God and to have a relationship with them. Over and over again, God is working on behalf of Israel for their good and their blessing. Yet if we flip to the beginning of the book, Malachi 1.1, where God tells his people, I have loved you. What was their reply? How have you loved us? And since they forgot what God had done for them, they forgot who God was to them. How he loves them and blesses them and takes care of all their needs. They felt like they needed to love themselves first. And take care of themselves. Now that was Israel during Malachi's time. Let's apply that to us. Some of you at this moment might be thinking, I'm a pretty faithful person in my relationships. Well, you know, if that's you, that's awesome. I am so, so thankful. I really am. I'm so thankful. But if I'm honest with you and if I'm honest with myself, I'm unfaithful. I fail. And loving people in Gospel City Church, covenant partners, like that covenant that I agreed to. I often fail at loving my life like I love myself, which is what Jesus calls us to do. In fact, I failed at it this week when I got upset at her for doing something minor that I made into a big deal. Now, I may just try to justify my unfaithfulness by saying, oh, I'm stressed because of having a four-month-old son, or I'm exhausted because of strenuous work, studying, and fam family life schedule. But in reality, these are excuses. Because the real reason I'm unfaithful is the same reason the Israelites in Malachi 2 are. Because I've forgotten who God is and what God has done for me and what God promises to do for me. I want to live a life of convenience where I serve myself. One of satisfaction where I'm happy and my happiness is most important. 
where my desire to feel good is king. So when I don't feel like supporting my brothers and sisters in Christ here in GCC, I don't. I say, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. I don't. When I, when I, love my, when I don't love my wife, what I'm, what I'm thinking in my head is, oh, you know, that's not worth it. I'll do that tomorrow. Because today's about me. and seek to obey Him when I do these things. I love myself. And I obey God only when it is convenient for me to do so. After all, why be faithful when it's all about me? This is the reason our unfaithfulness. So we have the problem of unfaithfulness. We have the reason for unfaithfulness. Let's get to the power for faithfulness. So we've got our problem here. We aren't faithful. We are not faithful. We love ourselves more than we love others. We love ourselves more than we love God. It's about us. It's about our satisfaction, our happiness. How can we break that cycle so that we can be faithful? Well, to be honest with you, I can't. I can't. I can try. I can wake up one day and I can, I can pick myself up by my bootstraps and I can say, I'm going to love better. By George, I'm going to love the people of GCC better. But you know, at the end of the day, when it's 11.30 at night, the baby's crying, I'm exhausted, I've got assignments due the next day, Really going to do anything different? Maybe for one or two days, but in the long run, probably not. What we need is a heart transformation. What we need to do is keep our eyes fixed on the only faithful person that has ever been on this earth. Jesus. Jesus. He's the Son of God, the eternal second person of the Trinity. He descended down to earth. He lived the perfect life, one of faithfulness, perfectly loving his neighbors, perfectly loving his disciples. Um, even when it was inconvenient, he would heal people of diseases. This Jesus, he humbled himself. Under death, 
even death on the cross, so that we could have life. The night before Jesus was betrayed, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying, and he was saying, God, Father, remove this cup from me, if it's your will. But regardless, let your will be done, not mine. It was God's will that Jesus give up himself for our sakes. Jesus was faithful to the plan, even though it, even though it involved him being crucified, experiencing the most painful death of all time. It involved humbling himself, giving up the throne room of heaven and his perceived glory so that he could rescue us. And after he was crucified, he died. And he rose three days later with a promise that if we look to him, if we trust him, if we repent of our sins and follow him, he will forgive us of our sins and give us life. And he was faithful to that. And not only that, but 1 Peter 5, 7 pledges that he is faithful in the sense that he hears our needs. He hears our hurts. And he is faithful to listen and to be close to us. And to show us compassion in those times. And even now, the book of Hebrews tells us that he is in the throne room of heaven, earnestly and faithfully interceding on our behalf, day in and day out. He is our great, great high priest. And he is faithful to that. And the reason why he does all is because he loves us. And to the measure that we understand that love, to the extent that we believe that, and we trust that Jesus has provided everything for us, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, adoption into God's family, how he brought us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. To the measure that we understand, and to the extent that we understand, that Jesus has taken care of all of our needs, then we can start thinking that, then we can stop thinking that it's all about us, and that we need to start, and that we need to be the ones to take care of ourselves. And then we can trust that since Jesus has taken care of all of our needs, we have nothing to worry about. Which means we can start loving others. Which means we can start being faithful to others. So how can we be faithful to our relationships, to our community, trust Jesus. We trust that he's taken care of us. And he continues to do so. How do we love our wives or 
our husbands. We trust Jesus, that Jesus has taken care of all of our needs and he's been faithful to us, so therefore we can go out and be faithful to others. How can we be faithful to God? We can be faithful to God because Jesus, because, because God has given us the spirit of Christ, the spirit of faithfulness dwelling in us. And if we look to him, he will empower us so that we can live lives of faithfulness, so that we can live lives of true faithfulness. Let us pray. Lord God, you are good. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you that you are the faithful one. You have loved us and cared for us and provided for all of our needs. And as a result, we have nothing to be concerned about, nothing to desire, nothing to want except you. Thank you for empowering us to faithfulness to one another. Lord, we can't do this without you. We can't do this without looking to Jesus and trusting that he has supplied for our every need. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus every day to remind ourselves what you have done for us through Christ, and what you continue to do for us. Lord, you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.